All right, go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, if I haven't met you before, my name is Caleb. I would love to say hello to you. Uh, we are in a series talking about work. We started this uh, last week, and it will be a short series kind of leading up to the summer, just looking at work. And uh, there's some great books, by the way, if you're interested in kind of digging into this more that have been helpful for me as I've studied for this. Uh, and one of those is a book called Every Good Endeavor, and that is by uh, Pastor Timothy Keller. And you can, and he's a, also just an author. Uh, he wrote that book. It's a great book. And then there's another book called The Gospel at Work by Greg Gilbert and somebody else. I don't remember if you're a co-author. I, I'm sorry. Um, and uh, so this is the series that we're looking at. And I would, like I said, I would recommend uh, looking to those resources if you are kind of wanting to learn more. But, but here is, here's why we're talking about this. Work, and this is what we talked about last week, work is the biggest part of your, of your life, of, of my life, of all of our lives. We spend more time in any other activity working than anything else. The only other thing that we do more than working is sleeping. And, and some of you probably actually less sleeping than working because of how much that you're stressed about your, your work. So we work all the time. We work all the time. It's the biggest chunk of our lives. And, and if, if we don't know, if we don't know how work in some way connects to God or faith, and, and you're a Christian, if you don't know how work connects to God or faith, if you don't know that, then you really don't know how God connects to your life because it's the biggest part of your life. It's the biggest part of all of our lives. So, so we're talking about this. If, if you're new, if this is your first Sunday, I'd encourage you to go listen to the one last Sunday so you can get kind of the high-level picture of really what work is for. But today, I don't know what I was going to say tonight, but today, maybe I didn't sleep very good tonight, um, today we're, we're talking about this idea that we work a lot, right? I mean, we work many, many long hours. I mean, some of you work, I mean, work it for all of us is the biggest part of our life, but for, for many of us, we work a lot. We put in a lot of hours, and there's a lot of studies that have been done on this. This is a recent article in Slate magazine, just, and you can Google tons of this stuff on just the, the stats of how much Americans in particular work. But this just says, the way we work is killing us. And here, here's a quote from this. It says, the United States workers work among the longest, most extreme, and most irregular hours, have no guarantee to paid sick days, paid vacation, or paid family leave, and pay more for health insurance, yet are sicker and more stressed out than workers in other advanced economies in the U.S. So we work tons, and it's having its toll on us. And it's not just that we work a lot. We also don't even rest when we're working. So we work a bunch of hours, and then we don't even take vacation. This is a study done that says 55% of Americans leave vacation time on the table. Think about that. That 55%, more than half of workers, do not use all of their vacation. So we're working tons, and then not even Resting, and we're actually going down um, in the between 1976 and 2000. The average has gone down. We're we're now at 16.2 days taken, and this was in 2015. And then they actually did this also, just showing in Denver in particular, there's 60% that have unused vacation days. Six million people, more than six million people, do not use their vacation. So we're working, we're working, we're working, and we're not even taking the rest that we need, and when you do rest, when you do vacation, if you're a millennial, I can't speak to if you're not a millennial, because this article says this, and by the way, this looks like a great vacation spot, but it says a huge number of millennials can't escape work while on vacation. 35% of millennials reported that they worked every day of their vacations and felt less productive when they returned. So we, we work all the time, 
We don't take vacation. If we do take vacation, we are actually working while on vacation and then come back to work and it doesn't even have the effect it's supposed to have. Or this says more than one third of millennial workers say they never actually take an entire day off ever. At some point every day during their vacation, they work. So this is the state of work in, in our country and probably for many of you. And, and may, maybe, maybe this isn't true for you. And what we're going to talk about today, though, is, is how we can kind of be free from some of this. But I also want you to think maybe you're unemployed or maybe you don't work that much. This can also just apply a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about just to busyness in general, because many people would say, I'm busy, I'm busy. So a lot of what we'll talk about will connect with that as well. And here's why this is important, because when, when our work life when, when our jobs, when, when what we do for a living, when our work life is off balance, everything else in life is off balance. Because work's the biggest part of our life, as we talked about last week. So if, if that's out of whack, if we're working too much, if we're stressed out, if, it's got, if that's off balance, everything else in life is off balance because that's the biggest part of our life. And because that, our work, affects all the other things in our life. You know this, if you have a hard day at work, you come home, that begins to affect your relationships with either your kids or your roommates or your spouse or whoever it might be. You, you, you work, and if, if, if stuff is going bad here, it doesn't just affect work. It doesn't just stay contained there. You don't have a horrible day at work and then go, okay, glad I left that there. That affects you. It affects your emotions. It affects your energy. It affects other things in life like vacation or your relationships, your friendships, fun, and things that you want to do in life and priorities. If work is off balance... Everything else in your life will be off balance. And, and you know this. Many of you feel this. We, we, this isn't like a big, a big shocker, but we, we might know it but, it, but it doesn't mean we know how to stop it. We might know that work has this big effect in our lives and we're working too much and we're not resting. We might know that, but, but the, stats, the stats don't lie. The stats don't lie. We're, we're still just, we continue to work and work and work and work and find it difficult to stop. And we're a slave in many ways to our work, a slave in many ways to our job. So what we're going to talk about today is this. How can we find the, the typical thing that so many people talk about, but we're looking at it from a, a God, a faith, a Bible's perspective, which is how can we find more, more balance? How can we find more rest in our, in our lives and in our work? How can we have a proper hold on work? So even though it's the thing that it encompasses most of our time in our lives, it's not something that is too much. It's not something that's draining us and causing stress and burnout and affecting all and poisoning kind of all the other things in our lives. So that is what we will talk about today. And we begin with this question, which is why do we work too much? What's the reason? Why is that happening to begin with? Why is it that no matter, no matter what job we have, especially if, if it's kind of more you know, you, you've not an entry-level job, but you've kind of gotten into a position and you're there now. Why is, it that we, why is it that we work so much? Even though we know the negative results and the negative effects, and even though we have vacation time, why do we, why do we work so much? Everybody notices. I mean, you can read tons of articles about this. Everybody notices this. But where does it actually come from? And, and here's what the Bible says, that one of the, the big kind of ways to understand what's wrong in our lives, one of the big ways to understand what's wrong in our lives, or one of the kind of sins, if you want to talk about it that way, one of the sins that's underneath kind of all other different things, whether that's not resting or overworking, or one of the things the Bible says is here's a big category to understand what's wrong in our lives is idolatry. 
If you go back all the way to the Ten Commandments when God told Moses, hey, here is the Ten Commandments of the way I want my people to live in Israel. Here, here, here's what I want you to understand. The first thing that God says is to not have any other gods. And there's a reason that that's the first one, because everything else flows out of that. And here's, here's, what, here's what it says in Exodus. It says, you shall have no other gods before me, and then connected to that, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, these are idols, or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, or that's in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. This is really the key of what happens in idolatry. So I, idols, idolatry. When we think about it back then, would be these statues that people literally did this. But the Bible begins to kind of flesh that out and talk about it more and say that in our hearts, in our hearts, we also create idols. In our hearts, there's things that might not no longer be physical representations of a particular image or, or likeness of something, but it's something that we still bow down to and serve. And this is one of the big metaphors, one of the big ideas that the Bible uses when it talks about what's, what's our problem, what's wrong with us, what leads to all the different issues that we, that we have. See, work can easily become an idol for us, something that we worship, something that we serve, something that we bow down to. See, an idol is this. An idol is anything in your life, anything in your life that you center your life around, that your choices, that your decision making, that your plans, that your calendar, that anything in your life, that everything is kind of revolving around. That's one way to understand what an idol is. It's anything that your life is centering around or anything that you consciously submit yourself to instead of God. That you say, actually, I'm going to obey what you say. I'm going to serve what you say. I'm going to let you be my master. I'm going to bow down and serve you. And this can be all sorts of things, but work is obviously a prime candidate for that. An idol is also something that we get our worth from, our value from, our very source of identity from. That we look to, we should be looking to God to say, tell me who I am, define me. Tell me who I am. Give me my worth. Give me my value. Let me bow down and serve you. And you're the God that speaks into my life and, and defines who I am. But we can do that with work. Where work becomes this thing that we're functionally looking to to say, save me. Give me my value. Give me my worth. Tell me who I am. See, this is what an idol is. And work's a prime candidate for that. Because work, we might make work into an idol because of what it can provide for us which is a substitute for God, we look at work and say, work, I need pleasure. I work, I need security. Work, I need safety. Work, I need comfort. So I need this paycheck that work provides. Or, as I was saying, work itself is just the identity that we get. Think about this. From a very young age, what, what's the question that we ask kids? And I'm not saying this is a, a bad question, but it begins to instill this idea from a very young age. We start to ask little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? What is that saying? It's saying from a very, and again, I'm not saying don't, you know, if you just asked, you know, one of the kids out there, hey, what do you want to be when you, and then uh, you're a big evil sinner. I'm not saying that. But, but it it's instills from the very beginning, work is your identity. What do you want to be when you grow up? And then what happens when we start to meet each other? Work is still a very central part of our identity. One of the very first things that we ask one another is, what do you do? Why? Because that immediately puts a category in our head of, oh, that's who you are then. What, and again, I'm not saying that's a bad, you know, if all of a sudden you get rid of that from your vocabulary, you're going to be really awkward probably and not know how to talk to people. You're going to be like, uh, hi, hi. 
see, uh, like there's not going to be much, like you might not know next thing. But that just shows how ingrained it is of work becomes this central part of our identity, where we get worth, where we get value, how we know this is who I am. This is how I know I'm okay. Last week, we looked at the book of Genesis. We looked at the book of Genesis that showed God's purpose for work, that he creates work for us to partner with him in what he's doing in the world. But very quickly, when sin enters into the world, when man and woman turn their back on God and say, we want to do our own thing, very quickly, this good thing that God gives to people, work. He gives them work and said, this is a way that you can partner with me and be a part of showing people who I am and be a part of doing good in the world. Instead, very quickly in the book of Genesis, work turns into this thing that we get our value from, our worth from, our identity from, instead of, instead of God. Look how it says it in and you probably know this story. It's a famous story, but, but you can look at just this identity piece in work. It says, as people migrated from the east, so the garden's in the east, and they start to migrate, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. So they're saying, we're going to do this project. We're going to do this work. And they had brick for stone and Vitamin, I don't know what that is, for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. See, this is the famous story of the Tower of Babel, if you grew up in church or if you know about this at all. But, but it's these people saying, we're going to use our work. We're going to work. We're going to build things. We're going to build a civilization, which is a lot of what God told them to do in the beginning. But the reason changes. Instead of it becoming a way that we can serve people, instead of it becoming a way that we can partner with what God's doing in the world to love people and to actually reflect who he is, it becomes a thing that we say, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us get our identity from this. Let us get our worth. Let us get our value from this. See, why do we work too much? The, the Bible's answer, the Bible's answer to why we work too much. And the Bible's answer to many of the problems that we experience is that underneath so much of what is going on is we make something into an idol. We say, I'm going to build my life around this. I'm going to center myself around this. I'm going to submit to this. I'm going I'm to have this be the place that I know who I am, that I make a name, that I get worth and value and identity. This is what happens, and then we become a slave to it because it's, it's not just worth. It's not just work, but there's work underneath our work. It's not just the actual job that we have, but we're fighting underneath to say, I need value, I need worth, I need to make a name, which, which then creates this deeper kind of work. It's not just the job itself, but a fight for a spiritual battle to be having an identity, be having worth, be having, be having value. Now, this could be hard to know if we're doing this. It's going to be hard to know if we're doing this because as we talked about last week, one of the ways that we, that we partner with God and what he is doing is by working well, by working excellently, by saying, man, God gave me this job. God gave me this work to serve people, so I want to do a good job. I want to, I want to work hard. I want to work well, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually good. We should do that. That's part of what it means to work in the way that God has designed us to work. But what that means is it can be hard to know. So, so am I overworking and this is an idol in my life that I'm centering my life around? Or am I just working and doing a good job because I'm trying to serve other people and do what God has asked me to do and partner with him because he's my boss and so I love him and I'm doing a good job? It can be hard to know. It can be hard to know. Have we made work an idol? 
So I want to just give you a few ways that you can think about that are, there, there might be other ways that, that you can assess this in your life, but, but these are very obvious ways that you know if work has become too much for you. If you this is, these are some very clear ways that you can know, has work become something that is actually defining me? It's a place I'm getting my worth. It's a place I'm getting my value. It's actually become a substitute God, a substitute Savior. So the first one is this, is are you faithful to the priorities that God has given you in your life? See, we can't say this is for God. I'm doing this for God. I'm, I'm working hard for God. Or maybe you don't even use that language. You just think, okay, I'm, I'm doing a good job and I'm working really hard. And you, know, you got to kind of put in the hours and I want to be a hard worker. And you might not be thinking of that in a category of this is actually against God. But one of the assessment questions you need to ask yourself is, are you faithful to the priorities that God has given to you? So, like, if you're, a, if you're a father or a mother, your children are a priority that God has given to you. And there's no way that you can say, I'm being faithful to God, while at the same time you're, you're not with your kids at all. You're not giving them the love and all the different things that God calls parents to do. Instruction and teaching. And, or, or if you're a, a husband or a wife or vice versa, same thing. If you're saying, yes, I, I'm doing this for my family, which is a lot of times what people say. Maybe some of your parents even said that to you. You know, of course I love you. Don't you see how hard I work for you? And yet they were never there. They were never around. And the same thing can happen in a marriage. That say, well, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this so we can have great vacations that I can work on. I'm doing this so that, that we can uh, build a life together. And yet you're not actually being faithful to the priority that God has given you. And the same thing is true with just community and friendships. That's a biblical priority that God, if you're a Christian, one of the things that God says is you need friendships in your life that, with people that are close to you, that know you, that, that are, you are serving and that are, they're serving you and that you're speaking into their life and they're speaking into you. And, and we can say, well, well, I don't have time for that. Or to be a part of God's mission in the world, to help other people come to know and love him. You say, well, I don't have time for that. See, if we don't have time to actually be faithful to the priorities that God has given to us, that God has spoken to us and said, here's what, here's what a flourishing life looks like for you. It's community and it's, and it's friendship and it's being faithful to your family and your spouse and it's, and it's being a part of God's mission. If, if we don't have time to be a Christian, then obviously something is out of whack, right? Obviously work has become too much for us. And, and you can reverse that and say it's the same thing with everything, right? Like if you say, well, I'm going to go to church every single day of the week for 40 hours. You know, and I don't know, you find a church that's on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then you're not doing your job, that would be out of whack also. We said, well, I, the kids, my kids are the most important thing in my life, so I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to, I mean, then that's out of whack, all, like anything, right? One of the ways you know if work has become too much for you is if you can't actually be faithful to the priorities that God has told us, this is what life is to look like for us. But here's a, here's a second way we can begin to know if, if we are working too much, if work has become an idol for us, something that we are serving and bowing down to, is, and this is a broad category, but we're, we're not obeying God in our work. And I, I just have a few examples, but, but I, like, I, like I said, this is a broad category. But if, if work becomes a place that you say, this is the most important thing to me, this is where I'm getting my value. This is where I'm making a name. And I know you, no one probably says that, that language, but, but you show up, and that's the inner heart impulse. Then what happens is, because that's your God, it becomes disconnected from the true God, which means you find it easy to cheat at work. You find it easy to deceive other people at work. 
Because you're no longer saying, I'm obeying God, but work is your God, so you need to serve this God. So the rules that apply with your true God don't apply to this God. And you'll do whatever it takes to serve this God and bow down to this God, which means that you will cheat at work. And I know it's just a little bit. And you'll deceive people at work. That might be that you're deceiving on reports and fudging numbers, or it might be you're deceiving people and kind of telling them this part truth, but it's actually this. It might be that you just begin to gossip about other people at work. You begin to gossip, I mean, work gossip and the water cooler gossip and all that kind of stuff is very classic, but where does that come from? A lot of times that comes from in the middle of work, you don't like something that somebody else is doing that's making your job difficult or that's creating more work for you or that's doing something in the office atmosphere that you don't like that that way, because they're messing with your God, we begin to speak evil of them. We begin to obey this idol, this God. We obey this God and not the true God. Or finally, here's here's another just kind of broad category that I just want you to think about. Has work become a place for me that I'm not just doing a good job, but it's actually the place that I'm getting my value, getting my worth. I'm, I'm building an identity and a name here. It can just be your emotions. Like, what's your emotions connected to work? Are you just, when you think of work and when you're at work, or maybe it's post-work, are you just stressed and overwhelmed? That doesn't have to be the way it is. But why, why is it that so many of us, our experience of work is, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed. You know why? It's because you're, you're fighting, not just to do a good job, but for an identity, for worth, for value. And that's really hard. There's work happening underneath your work. If you're in a spiritual battle for your worth and for your value and your identity, that is going to lead you to be burnt out and overwhelmed and stressed out. Or maybe at work you're just really defensive if somebody offers any sort of correction, whether that's a supervisor or a coworker, or maybe even a, a customer, someone offers some correction to you in some way. You can't really handle that. You get very defensive. Why? It's because if that's your source of, source of worth, if that's your identity, if that's where you're building a name, then when someone offers some sort of correction, they're not just correcting your job, they're, they're attacking your identity. They're attacking your value. They're attacking your worth. They're not just giving you feedback. It's an assault on your value. So maybe it's stress. Maybe it's overwhelmed. Maybe it's defensiveness. Maybe it's continually looking for recognition from people at your job. And if you're passed over for that or not given it in the way you think you should be, again, it's because you need to build this worth and this value. See, these are some of the ways we can begin to understand. Has, has work become more than work for me? Has work become, why do we work so much? Why do we work so much? Why are the stats all pointing to that we work so much, we won't rest, we keep going, it's got negative relational effects, negative health effects, negative mental effects. We work so much because it's a God. It's a God to us. It's a place that we get the value, the worth, and the identity that we deeply long for. And we're looking to it to give us things that it can't actually give. And so we become a slave to it, become a slave to it. So how can we be free from that? How can we be free from this kind of work? I'm not saying how can you be free from your work. I mean, that's really easy. You just send an email right now and there you go. But how can you be free from this kind of work? How can you be free from the work underneath the work so that you do your job like we talked about last week? And you do a good job and you do it because you're partnering with God. How can we just, that's what work is for us. 
not this idolatry, not this drive, not this fight for identity. How can we be free from this kind of work? And, and what the Bible says is that we need an identity that we're not fighting for and working for, but that's given to us. An identity that we don't have to earn, but an identity that we just receive. A name that we don't have to make for ourselves, but a name that's given to us. And this is what the Bible actually says happens if you become a Christian. Look, look, how, look how Jesus talks about this with his disciples when he even tells them, here's your mission. Here's what I want you to go be a part of. And there's tons that we could talk about in this verse, but I, I just want to talk about this identity piece. After Jesus dies and resurrects and he sends out his disciples to be a part of his mission in the world, it says he says this to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you, may, you have heard this language before if you've been baptized or if you've read this verse before in the Bible, but this is exactly what we're fighting for. It's to be baptized or to be brought into a different name. What Jesus says is, if you become a Christian, you know what becoming a Christian is? Becoming a Christian is saying, give me your name. Give me your identity. Give me your worth. Give me your value. That if you're somebody that comes to Jesus and says, I don't want to try to fight for a name for myself anymore. I want you to name me. And by faith, meaning in trust, we say, God, I want you to give me an identity so I don't have to fight for it anymore. I want you to give me a worth so I don't have to fight for it. I want to just receive from you what I've been trying to make for myself. That's what being a Christian is. See, on the cross, what Jesus did is he forgave us of our sin. He forgave us of our sin. He took away all those bad parts. And then he doesn't just forgive us. He doesn't just wipe the slate clean. He forgives us of our sin because he dies in our place. But then he gives us a new identity. He gives us a new name. He says, I'm baptizing you. See, in baptism, what happens? The waters completely overtake someone. They're submerged in water, which is partially to say you have a completely, you're just dunked in this totally new identity. That you are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which means the worth and the value that we long for, that we crave, is given to us. We don't have to fight for it anymore. See, the very thing that, that sin brought about with work is we try to make a name for ourselves. And the way that God undoes that is to say, I'm going to give you a name instead, a better name, my name. You share in my name. This is, this is one of the ways that we can be free from this work, this kind of work. And you know what happens? Then less is at stake. Less is at stake in your job. It doesn't mean you don't want to do a good job anymore, but less is at stake. You can be successful. You can kill it at your work. You can do a great job, but you're not, you're not proud and arrogant. And looking down on everybody else because you didn't all of a sudden achieve your worth and your value. You just did a good job. And you can also fail. You can also fail. You can also do a bad job. And it doesn't crush you because your identity is not being shattered. You already have this. You already have the name. See, if, if we are fighting for an identity, that means it's always going up and down. We either feel really proud because, yes, I've got my worth and I earned it, or we feel really broken because, man, I, I lost some worth points, I lost some value points. But if it's given to us, if we have it and it's stable and there's nothing that can change that, it means we do a good job at our work, and, yeah, we're going to mess up, but it doesn't crush us. See, what this does is create a different kind of rest. 
creates a different kind of rest if you have an identity that's given to you. It frees us from the kind of work underneath the work because now we have a, a rest. Here's how Jesus says this. Jesus says this, come to me and hear this. And if this is you and your work, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he says, come to me, everybody that's working, everybody that's doing a hard job and you're burdened and you're heavy laden and you're overworking and you're not taking vacation, come to me. If you're feeling burnt out and stressed out and you're putting in hours and it doesn't ever seem like it stops, Jesus says, come to me. And then he takes that and says, look, there's something spiritual happening underneath, though. It's not just I'm going to give you rest like I'm going to, I'm going to let you quit your job. Or he, he says, there's a deeper soul rest I'll give you. Come to me, all who labor, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And this is using language of, if you can picture, like an ox with that big thing around their, their neck and they're attached together. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, what Jesus says is this. When we come to him, it produces a different, a deeper kind of rest. It's not just rest of taking off your shoes and watching Netflix. It's not just rest that's coming home from a long, hard day and cracking open a beer. It's not just rest that's, that's okay, I've got the weekend finally. He says it's a deep soul rest. If you're working, and you feel stressed out, and you feel burdened, Jesus says, look, for, for everybody like that, I want you to come to me. I want you to be yoked to me. I want you to be close to me. I want you to be attached to me. I want you to be right here with me. If you're somebody that at work, you are feeling the stress and the burden and the weight and all of that stuff, Jesus says, there's something happening in your soul. There's something happening in your soul, and I want to free you from that by bringing you close to me. I want to free you from that so you have a rest for your souls. A rest for your soul, not just rest on the weekend, but a rest for your soul. This is what Jesus says happens. See, we can be free from the work underneath the work. We can be free from the kind of work that is idolatry and burns us out and stresses us out. We, we can be free from that kind of work when we have an identity that we receive instead of trying to earn. And what that does is create a rest in our souls because we have a worth that has been given to us that we don't have to earn. So we can just be at peace. We're not fighting so hard anymore. anymore. So, so here's what this means. Jesus, Jesus says it specifically, but let me just spell, spell this out. Jesus says, if this is you, if this is where you are, he says, come to me. Come to me. And obviously you can't physically walk over to Jesus and say, okay, so here I am. So how do we, how do, we do that? How do, how do we come to him? I mean, it, it's really simple. It just means that we go talk to him in prayer. And we can confess to him. We can say, God, I have been making work too important in my life. I have been burning myself out. I am stressed. I am overwhelmed. This is actually the thing I'm trying to get an identity from. Forgive me. I want your rest. I want the rest that you provide. I want, I want to believe that I have an identity in you. I want to take the worth and the value and the name that you give me and just rest in that. I mean, that's just where we start. Look, if this is, if this is an issue for you in your work, and look, I can just say it's been an issue for me in my work. It doesn't matter what kind of work you do. Whether, whether you have a, a boring job that you hate, this can still be true. 
because work can be this God for you, and it's really not fulfilling, so it's crushing your soul. We even use that language sometimes related to jobs. It's soul crushing. What does that mean? It means we're getting our identity from it, and it's affecting our very souls. You see, it doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom, and that's your work, or you're a student, and that's your work, or if you're a pastor, and your work is this supposedly holy stuff, we can still make this into an idol. And the only way to to begin to fix that is to say, I need a different worth, a different value, a different identity that I get by coming to Jesus, as he says, and talking with him and saying, make that identity real to my soul. Forgive me that I haven't been doing this and make it real to my, make it real to my soul. Maybe it also means you need to confess to, to others where because work has become too important, you have neglected your friends or your family, your spouse. Maybe it means you need to confess to others and say, hey, you know what? I, I realize actually work has become the thing I'm building my life on. And I don't want to keep doing that. I want rest for my soul that comes from Jesus. And I'm sorry for the way that this has affected you. Will you forgive me? Maybe we need to begin to, to confess those things. So we, we work too much because it becomes an idol. But the way to be free from this kind of work is to receive the identity that we're fighting for and then what, is, what actually happens? What does a more balanced life look like then? If we exchange one identity for another, if we exchange one name that we don't have to earn anymore for a name that's given to us, what does a more balanced life actually look like? What, what does it entail? And you know what God told his people in the very, very beginning? And many of you have heard this principle before, but what God told his people in the very beginning in the very beginning, what God said is, you know what a balanced life looks like? It looks like Sabbath. It looks like where you work hard for six days and rest for one. Here, here's how he says it. And he also connects this to our identity, to being free from our souls. Here's what he says. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So six days, work hard and get it done. Do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall remember. So look how he's connecting these ideas. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. So the people of God were enslaved. They were enslaved and they're working all the time. There was no Sabbath. They're working all the time and God frees them. He says, now you're my people and you're free. So on the Sabbath, part of what it's designed to do is this. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord God brought you out. From there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. See, he's connecting the slavery that people are in to work. And saying, God brings you out. He saves you. He redeems you. And now you can rest. I love how Pastor Timothy Keller comments on this in his book. And he says, anyone who cannot obey God's command to observe the Sabbath is a slave even if a self-imposed one. So for Israel, they, 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 it wasn't something they chose, but we often self-impose slavery on ourselves. You're, and you might be a slave to your own heart or our materialistic culture or an exploitive organization or all of the above. They will be abusing you if you don't have the ability to be disciplined in your practice of Sabbath. Sabbath is therefore a declaration of our freedom. It means you are not a slave, not to your own culture's expectations, your family's hopes, your medical school's demands, not even to your own insecurities. It's a great quote. 
Because what he's saying is this. Look, if we want a balanced life, you know what it looks like? God from the very beginning said it's Sabbath. It's rest. It's to work hard and then rest. Because in a Sabbath, we say, I've been free. I'm no longer a slave. I've been free from having to fight for my identity. God's rescued me. In, in Egypt with Israel, it was a literal salvation that he brought them out of slavery. For us with Jesus, God has brought us out of the slavery of fighting for our own worth and fighting for our own value. And from our sin, he says, you are free from that now. And Sabbath is a way to be able to say, I'm free. And I can trust God. I, I can have rest in my soul, like Jesus said. So a balanced life looks like Sabbath. It looks like Sabbath. But, but I need to say a little bit more about this because we do not know how to Sabbath. Even if you agree with the idea, even if you say, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I'll Sabbath. That's a, that's, a, that's a way that a balanced life looks like. God's given me a new identity and I've got a new worth and a new value. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little bit more of a balanced life. We, we don't know how to actually do this. It, it's kind of funny because um, there's a lot of, you know, well, there's not, there's 10. There's 10 commandments. I, that's a lot, I guess, you know, but there's, there's 10 commandments. And I, you know, as a pastor, I never have people say, hey, how do I, how do I not murder people? Or, hey, I'm really trying to figure out this adultery thing. How, how can I not do adultery? But isn't it interesting that even in our culture, this is true in the church when people ask me questions, but in our culture, there's tons of books, there's tons of stuff written to say, how can we Sabbath? How do we get work? There's no best-selling books on how to stop killing people, right? Maybe someone's written one, but it's not best-selling, right? Maybe there's one guy reading that, and if you ever see that, run, you know? <laughs> how do I stop? But there's tons of stuff written on this. Tons of stuff written on how do you have a more balanced life? How do you get rest? From a Christian perspective and from people that are not Christians, tons of people are writing stuff saying, how do we get more balance? How do we get more rest? How do we get more Sabbath? This should tell us something about how broken we are that we don't even know how to rest. And people ask me this question all the time. How do I get more balance in my life? How can I rest? How can I? It shows how broken our culture is that we're so defined by work that we don't, we literally don't even know how to do this. We don't know how to do it. And so I, I just want to give you a handful of things that, that can begin to help us with this. One of them is what just tons of studies show, and, and Jesus modeled this for us all the time, and, and going into solitude and getting away from people, but we just need to disconnect. And we'd have to disconnect, especially from technology. So many studies show that, that our brains are just constantly wired to technology and the negative effects that that has. And let me just say this also, especially because now as I have kids, I'm even more aware of this with my kids. We're, I mean, everywhere I go, adults and kids, from like the youngest baby to the oldest man, is, is just glued to a device. And it rots brains. It just... Google it like it does. Google it on your phone right now, you know, and just stare at it. And it doesn't mean you never should use technology. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, I mean, but it's, we are, it's affecting our brains. And it's bad for us. And the studies also show when you disconnect, like, look, I mean, I don't know, when, when did cell phones come out? Like 15 years ago or something? I didn't get one until I was in college or after college, actually. But I was, I was a loser. So, I mean, I, but, but it's, I mean, we lived like this before, Right? Like, it's new that we have had to live like this. That's new. So we can't, but when's the last time you had your phone off for 24 hours? 
And that's shocking, 24 hours. But when's the last time you had it off for 48 hours or 36 hours or on vacation if you're a millennial? When's the last time you shut your computer off for a week? You know what it does to your brain? It gives you fresh insight. It begins to produce some of that soul rest, that Sabbath that God is talking about. But if we don't do that, look, I know this is weird. When, when I go to the airport, when I go to the airport, I am the weirdo. You know how weird it is to just sit when everyone else is like this? You look, you look like you're plotting something evil. <laughs> like if you're not on your phone, people are like, what's wrong with that guy? Something's up. He's going <laughs> to do something bad, right? Like you're the weirdo if you're not staring at your screen. But that something is so broken in us. So, my, I mean, sorry it took so long on that, but it's just, we, we, need, to, we need to disconnect. And I know you, uh, sorry, I'm going to keep going. I know you go on vacation, you're like, but it's so pretty, and it's so, and I need to show everybody. And, and I just, stop. And people are on their honeymoon, and they're like taking pictures, and they're, sh- and so, stop, don't do that. Just be an old school grandpa that when you get back, you give everybody the slideshow, and you're like, here's my trip. And you just click through it, and you show everybody. I mean, that's what Facebook was invented for, right? So, but you don't need to do it in the middle of it. Disconnect. Disconnect. That's, that's number one. Number two is this. That just literally what the Bible says is we need a weekly Sabbath. Work six days and take a day off. Work six days and take a day off. And, I mean, so the reality is for some of you, maybe, maybe your job cannot handle that. So try to find some way that maybe it's a 24-hour period. Maybe it's Friday starting at 3 o'clock to Saturday at 3 o'clock. Or maybe it's Saturday at 5 o'clock to Sunday at 5 o'clock. I don't, I, but try to take a 24-hour period where you are completely off, no work. For, for Israel, God's Old Testament people, they, they had Saturday as their Sabbath. In the New Testament people, Sunday is the primary day that we should take as the Sabbath because it's the day that we are celebrating that Jesus has risen, that he's alive. And because of that, we can have rest for our souls. Because of that, we can have a new name and a new identity. And so on your weekly Sabbath, there should be activities and things that are filling your heart with who God is. Like a Sunday service and singing or praying or Bible reading or things. That, and it doesn't, I mean, go, go on a hike. Go in nature. It doesn't just have to be religious activities. But it's stuff where you're saying, I want my heart to be full with the rest that Jesus gives. I want my heart to be full with the rest that, that he gives. That's why Sunday's a great day to, to do that because you've already got some built-in rhythms around that. I know, I mean, Sunday's not my Sabbath, so I know all of you can't do that. But it's a great day to say, look, I've got built-in rhythms where I'm focusing on who Jesus is. And on that weekly Sabbath, what I would just advise is plan for it. Like if you're the person in your house that makes most of the meals, try to plan beforehand. That this, and this is, again, what the, the Jews did and still do is they would... Make all the meals beforehand so that you're not doing any work on that day. So for us, that at my home, we're either making meals beforehand for our Saturday Sabbath or we are getting frozen pizzas or, or going and eating somewhere. Something that's like there's no work happening on this day. So a weekly Sabbath and then a daily Sabbath, which just means this. It just means work, put in your hours, and then be done. And again, I know, like, everybody wants to be the exception to it, okay? But there has to be a time. There's got to be a time that you can just click off on the phone. There has to be a time that you don't have to check email. There has to be a time that you can just say, I'm done. I worked, I put in my hours, and now I'm done. And I can rest. I can just say, God, thanks for the work I was able to put in today. And 
thanks that you've given me this job, and thanks that now I can begin to play into some of the other priorities that God has given to me in my life. So a daily time to cut stuff off. And then a yearly time or times uh, where you're taking vacation. Again, I, I love when I read the Gospels because Jesus is here to save the world, right? He shows up and he's got a short time span. I mean, Jesus died when he was, I mean, a young, I mean, not even 40. And, and he's, he's just, he's got so much to do, right? Okay, I'm here to save the world. Like, that's a lot to do. And yet, Jesus, you always see him in the Gospels, in, in the books about his life saying, okay, I'm going to the mountains. I don't think he lived in Denver, but he's still, he just loved the mountains. He's always going, to, he's just, okay, I need to go on a hike. I need to go on a walk. I need to be by myself. And there were so many people that he could be healing, and there was so much good that he could be doing. And, and he did, and then he rested and said, i got to go talk to God. I need to go to the mountains. I need to go on a boat. I need to go fishing. I mean, he's always just leaving, and sometimes by himself and sometimes with close friends. You see, we need vacation. Vacation where there's not a computer on your lap. Vacation where you are disconnecting from the normal rhythms of work, and you are just taking peace and extended periods of time to be able to rest and fill your soul. Now look, I think, uh, I do think if you take a weekly Sabbath, the need for like, oh my gosh, I need vacation, it's this thing you're looking forward to all the time, it begins to diminish a little bit because you just have built in solid rhythms weekly of rest. But a good extended period of time is medicine for your soul. And I'll say this too for, for those of you that maybe do take vacation, but all of your vacation is, because so many people are not from Denver, all of your vacation is visiting family in other parts of the country. And if you use all your vacation for that, if you use all, and maybe that's super restful for you. Like I do know some people that say, man, I love going to my parents' house. It's the most restful thing. They just take the kids and it's beautiful. Like if that's restful for you, great. But I also know a lot of people say, got to go to my parents' house. And all their vacation is visiting family. All their vacation is kind of all like you're just doing, 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 doing. Then it won't actually give you the effect of, okay, I'm resting. Instead of, well, yeah, for this vacation, I went to this wedding, and for this vacation, I was with my family, and this vacation, I was here, and this vacation, and you're just like, okay, and you're actually more stressed out when you come back. You need to be able to take some time. Like, whatever vacation, you, here's a really practical way. Whatever vacation time you have that you've been given by your boss, or if you are the boss, create a policy. Whatever vacation time you have, take it. Take it. I mean, some of you have got five, six, four, three, ten, twenty weeks. I mean, some of you work, I don't know if anyone works at Netflix. They have no vacation policy, right? So take, take whatever you have. Take the vacation you have and rest and use it to fill your soul. Use it even to refocus your identity. And here's the last thing of how to actually begin to balance this life. Maybe you need to have a conversation with your boss. So let me say this first, actually, to bosses. If you're an employer... If you employ people and you actually have the power to make these decisions, man, build something good for people. Build something good for people where you're not stingy. You're not stingy with vacation, but you're generous. But most of you probably are not employers. You work. Maybe you need to have a conversation with your boss. And the conversation doesn't have to be, I need more vacation. Like you signed up for what you signed up for. But the conversation might be, in order to be faithful to what God has called me to do, I just need to let you know I'm going to start working the normal hours I'm supposed to work. And I'm going to start, I'm not going to be on my phone certain times. And maybe you can't have that like all at once. Maybe you need to start trickling that in. I, I don't, you know, you need to, you need to be wise. Like probably if you've had a pattern of 
80 hours a week and you just slam the brakes to 40, you're probably going to get fired. And I don't want to be responsible for that. So, But you do need to get your life and your priorities right and to be able to be faithful to God and Sabbath. Or you might need to change jobs and have a fresh start where from the very beginning you're living in the way that is healthy in line with what God has said. So probably many of us, in order to begin to be faithful to what God has called us to do, need to actually have some conversations to say, hey, I'm not going to be available after 6 or 7 or whatever it is for you. Or, hey, I'm, I'm gonna, I am going to take Saturday and Sunday off or whatever it might be. And to begin to build those proper expectations in with the people. So let me just end with this. We need this. We need this. God designed us for this. It, you would think it was crazy if your phone had to shut off for eight hours a day. You would think it was crazy if your computer was just like, hey, I'm done. You go, this is faulty technology for eight hours a day. But you know, it's God designed us to shut down for eight, seven, whatever it is for you, nine, ten hours a day. Just shut. God designed us to just shut down and sleep. And just say, you're done. I mean, that's faulty technology and anything else. But for us, God designed us that we literally have to shut down. He built it into our humanity to say, you know what you need? Rest. So you can know you're not God. So you can know that he's in control. So you can know he's good and, and you don't have to fight for your name and your identity and your value, but it can be given to you. God designed the world this way. He designed our bodies this way because he's a good God. He wants us to experience a deep soul rest. Our world's not like this, but we can live into the way that God designed things. What would happen if, if we did that? Think about your emotional joy and health, stress and burdens that would go. Think about the effect on your friendships. There might be friends you don't have time for. Think about the effect on your family and your kids and your marriage, of the effect of rest. Think about the effect on just other things you might actually be able to do in life to be faithful in God's mission or to be a part of other things that God has asked you to do. Think about what would happen if we really lived into what God has said. This is the kind of community God desires for us. It's the kind of community I want us to have here. So when we come and take communion, this is what we're remembering. We're remembering that if, if you're somebody that says, man, I'm burdened, I'm heavy laden, my work has become the center of my life. When we take communion, we remember that Jesus says, I, I can forgive you and cleanse everything there and give you a new identity. His body was broken. His blood was shed to forgive us our sins and to give us a new name, a new identity so we can say, I've got rest. So maybe for you, the first step is just as you take communion, if you're a Christian, to, to do what Jesus said and come to him. This can be even an act of doing that, to just say, okay, I'm coming to you and, and God, help me remember what you've done for me so I live out of that. So let's pray and then we will sing a few songs so that we can worship this good God we have. Father, I thank you that you're a, such a good God that would create rest, that one of the things you command us to do is to rest. That just shows how good of a God you are. And one of the things you want built into the fabric of our lives is to over and over and over again experience and remember that our worth and our value and the rest for our souls comes from you. I thank you that you designed us that way and you speak this to us and you want this for us. And I, I pray for everybody here that feels like a slave to their job that they would be able to experience the freedom of rest in you. Pray for everybody that feels weak and burdened and heavy laden, as you said, Jesus. 
that we would find rest in you. And we would begin to change our lives and experience a deeper sense of balance. 